Not that soon, Joy. Not that soon, Doctor. You're Welcome to Speak for Yourself. For I know. She over there flexing that degree on us. I'm Marcellus Wiley. He's Emmanuel Ocho. Work, y'all. Work. Let's get it started with some work. And the big news in the NBA where reports say Nikola Jokic has been voted the NBA MVP for the second straight season. Look at that. His numbers are actually better than last year, all you naysayers. Averaging about 27 points and 14 rebounds per game, which are both career highs. The Joker beat out Giannis and Joel Embiid for the hardware. I choke. Did Nikola deserve to be the MVP? Yes, he did. He deserved to be the MVP. Um, however, he should not have won the MVP. Oh, oh, so here's a nuanced fast. conversation that the majority of the sports world is not having, that two things can be true. You can both deserve something, yet still not have gotten the thing you deserve to get. Mm. Like, imagine mm. if you go to apply for a job and you meet all of the requirements, somebody just meets them better. Okay. So I don't want to take away from Nikola Jokic right now because he absolutely deserved it. Average 27, yeah. 14, 8. Phenomenal. Carried his team into the playoffs without his second and third best player. Phenomenal. So he deserved to win the MVP if you're just looking at this season by himself. No other players looking at what they did. Mm-hmm. But when I get to looking at what Joel Embiid did. I'm listening. Sixers, 51 wins. When I get to looking at what Giannis Antetokounmpo did. Mm-hmm. Bucks, 51 wins. When I really get to looking at some of the other guys who were in contention for MVP, that's when I'm like, no, y'all got it wrong. The Joker may have deserved to win the MVP, but he still should have won the MVP because Mm. if the biggest reason the Joker won MVP was because not necessarily of what he did, but because of what his teammates did not do, Mm. then I can't say he should have won it. Like, really kick back for a second and realize. I'm with you. The biggest reason the Joker won MVP is not even because of what he did. It's because of what his teammates didn't do. Because Jamal Murray wasn't present. MPJ wasn't present. It's not even that much about the Joker's 27, 14, and 8. It was what the Joker do, did despite Jamal Murray's absence, despite Porter Jr.'s absence. Don't tell me that a player should win MVP because of what his teammates didn't do. Tell me he should win MVP exclusively because of what he did. Because when I look exclusively at what Giannis did and exclusively at what Embiid did, they both did more. They both did more? Oh, man. I knew that rooting interest for Giannis would jump into this conversation and kind of blur what we just witnessed right now for Jokic. Congratulations once again to -to back-to-back MVP. And he deserved it. Even though I understand there's a growing crowd and a loud crowd of people saying he didn't earn it more than Embiid, more than Giannis. I hate to tell you guys, but you guys are all incorrect. Let's start this conversation off without using the exclamation point. That's happening too much in this world right now. To me, declaratives. So definitive. Oh, he's deserted. He didn't. Let's just act like what we know this is. In reality, we're splitting hairs right here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about three players that had amazing seasons, but only one of them earned it, deserved it, and received the MVP. Let's talk about why he deserved it. Let's not even get into the lazy narrative that I was pushing before to try and get him the MVP, which is he did it without his teammates. He did it without Murray. He did it without Porter Jr. Okay, that's 40 points sitting on the bench, and he still did it. Let's talk about what's really at play, how he beat Giannis, how he beat Embiid. You know that he led in those three, in all categories. I'm talking about Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. Rebounds, assists, 
Field goal percentage, two and three, three-pointers made. <sighs> he had the highest PER in history. What is going on? Jokic went out there and ate. And I think a lot of people wanted to take away from Jokic because what was taken away from Jokic and those two players. So it's weird. Instead of giving him the bump that you naturally would give, man, he's doing this without number two and number three. Nah, he's doing it without number two and number three, and they're going to use that as an excuse to give it to him when we should look at it and beat. Jokic, by the numbers, was a better player this year than the MVP Jokic of last year. And then he beats them out in two major categories. But I understand why the naysayers and the people say, no, Giannis, no Embiid. This is why they're saying it. When you're playing basketball, I learned this the hard way. Call your fouls when you got fouled. You delay your foul call. You run another good court. Hey, man, that was a foul. He's like, dog, the delay right there is what you're responding to more so than the actual call. What people are responding to is the delay. Because we see Giannis in the postseason. The, the delay. We're seeing Embiid in game three and four. And we're starting to say, hey, man, the MVP is not even playing anymore. Don't get it twisted. That delay still doesn't take away from the fact there was actually a foul on that play. There was actually an MVP in the regular season. The problem is the argument that was built for Jokic to win MVP is a completely flawed and oxymoronic argument. Think about what Jokic did despite not having his number two and number three best players on the court. Mm, Y'all do realize... It's easier to get numbers when you don't have your number two and number three mm -hmm, best player mm -hmm, on the court. Mm -hmm. Just think about James Harden, the former NBA MVP. Think about the numbers he had in Houston averaging 29 points a game. Then think about the numbers he had in Brooklyn when he had to share time with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Dropped down to 23 points per game. Yeah. Think about LeBron James. Never really been in contention for averaging 30 points per game over the duration of a season. Not often, at least. Mm. But now think about LeBron James this year, 37 years of age, but Anthony Davis not present. As a result, LeBron James is one or two buckets away from being the NBA scoring champion this season. It's easier to get numbers when you don't have your other stars on the court. So if our greatest arguments for the Joker are his aggregate numbers and look at what he did without his other stars on the court, it's easier to do when you don't have other stars on the court. Mm -hmm. Embiid averaged 30 points a game and still had James Harden, a former NBA scoring champion he had to split time with. Giannis averaged 29 points a game, 30 points a game, and still had to split time with the likes of Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. When I say split time, I mean split buckets. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jokic is out there getting all the numbers and all the shine. Who else gonna shoot? Who else gonna get boards? Mm. Who else gonna drop dimes? I would hope you would ball when nobody else is out there to ball with you. So the argument that built up Jokic to win MVP is a completely flawed argument because we try to use it to say, well, look at what he did. But remember, the only reason he did that is because wasn't nobody else there to do it. That's why I'm just not really capable of saying that mm. he should have won it, though he did do enough on normal years to win it. God, I'm playing traffic cop right here because I want to come back at that. You gave me some ribs to eat. But right now, we got to bring in Fox NBA analyst Slick Rick DeBuker, who is also an MVP voter. So, Slick, did Jokic deserve to win the MVP? Yes, he deserved to win. And somehow I have the same answer as both of you. And yet I have issues with both of your arguments, <laughs> powerful as they may have been. First of all, Acho, you're equivocating. You can't say he deserved to win and then say he shouldn't have won. Mm. I understand what you're doing, but I don't have to like what you're doing. <laughs> the fact of the matter is he, 
He won because he convinced the majority of voters to give him the votes necessary to win. And this was strictly based on what he did during the regular season. The belief was the combination of the numbers, where Denver ended up, the fact that they were in the playoffs, and the fact that they didn't have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were all part of the equation as to why he was voted. Did he, did he, did he cheat? Did he steal votes? Mm. Did he lie? No, he, he didn't do anything to divert the decision on who should be MVP. Now, the reason he wasn't at the top of my ballot <clears throat> is because of the argument that Marcellus Wiley made, which is, look at these numbers mm -hmm. and look at the numbers better than last year. And how can you argue with that? Now, I agree with you, both of you, in terms of we're splitting hairs, because I said at one point prior to turning in my ballot that I would be happy no matter who won. Uh, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Joel Embiid. Embiid happened to be at the top of my ballot because of intangibles, because of elements beyond simply the numbers. And I agree with you, Acho, that, yeah, look, somebody's there's, there's a leading scorer on the worst team in the league. <laughs> Guys are going to score 25. Right. And you go, oh, man, that guy's really good. But no, dude, you're going to have the ball enough. You're going to get numbers. That's just the way the game works. Mm. Uh, looking at what Embiid had to come through, it's the same reason that I voted Giannis Antetokounmpo as my MVP last year. It wasn't the numbers. It was how he got them. I saw a guy that, from an emotional standpoint, was leading his team through the difficulties of having Ben Simmons decide that he didn't want to play for them. I saw a guy who the numbers didn't necessarily show up on the, uh, in, the, in the box score, but a guy who was using his physicality, who was wearing teams down, who was getting uh, fouls drawn so that other guys could get to the free throw line, they could get to the bonus earlier. Jokic wasn't doing those little intangibles. So his numbers, I, the, the worst <coughs> argument is he had 27, 14, and 8, and that's and without Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. And Marcellus, you admitted that. They're like, that's, that's such a weak argument. Anybody starts with that, I'm like, you don't deserve a vote. I just look at the difference between Embiid and what he had to go through and how he got those numbers. That was the distinction, and that's what mm. put him above Jokic for mm. me. But anybody who's trying to use the postseason now as a referendum – Mm. To say that, see, Giannis is still alive, Embiid's still alive, that's proof that Jokic didn't deserve it. Now, we should announce the MVP right after the season Fair. so that we don't get into this 2020 hindsight and using the postseason as a referendum. Yeah, man, I got issues with both of you guys. Like, you got issues with me. I like this. Let's talk through these issues. We're not going to box Jokic in and just say, oh, he just got numbers without his number two and three. And getting numbers without your number two and three is easy. So, therefore, you shouldn't win the MVP. Acho said it best. That's flawed and oxymoronic. Let's talk about this argument. First, let's give him his flowers for the numbers. But then I'm going to have to get, hit a checkmate on you guys and prove why he should and he was the MVP. Jokic had 66 double-doubles this season, 20 more than Giannis and Embiid. Jokic led the league with 19 triple-doubles. These are flowers. And join Carl Malone's the only NBA players ever in history with five straight double-doubles with 35 points or more. 
Jokic is the first player ever. Y'all listening to this? Ever. 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 500 assists. First player ever in NBA history, 25-13-6. First player ever. Top 10 points, rebounds, assists, field goal percentage, last 50 years. Those are numbers, though. It's easy to get numbers. You ain't have Murray. You're not Porter Jr. But now let me box you in with this one, and y'all answer oh, this. Wait, don't Check me. This, please. Why did he have mm. more? Why did he have more wins than Giannis? Why did he have more wins than Embiid? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought it's easy to get the numbers. You got your numbers. Why you get more wins? You shouldn't be winning if you ain't got your number two and number three. Well, I can hear it right now. Well, he played more games. You better calm down because it's supposed to be harder. So not only did he do the easy things, check, 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 but he did the hard thing that you're supposed to do in a regular season. Don't bleed it into what's happening right now. And that Jokic is at home and everyone else is still playing. The regular season, when he was available and he was out there winning more than those other two guys <laughs> and putting up those buckets. Problems with everything you said, Sal. Um, I love it. I love here's it. the biggest problem. I'll start with Sal and then Slick, I'm going to address you. Ooh. Don't give me all of Jokic's <laughs> averages, but then talk about his aggregate when you want to talk about wins. You gave me how many points per game he had. How do you, you average how many wins? Per game he had. Then give me the same percentage when you want to talk about wins. Okay. Because Giannis had a higher winning percentage and Embiid had a higher winning percentage. So mm-hmm. don't talk to me about averages in one category. Then talk to me about gross in another category. Like it, because gross. we know that Giannis and Embiid were better when it came down to winning percentages. Now, mm-hmm. Slick, this is where I have to address both you and Marcellus. Yeah, let's talk. Great. Let's talk. You can't say that what somebody does in the postseason should dictate the regular season MVP award. No, that's dumb. But we can at least understand where we might have gotten things wrong. Here's my reason being. The primary foundation for which we built the argument for Jokic was either his numbers, but truly slick, if you're being honest, the primary argument was Mm -hmm. what Jokic did without Murray and without Porter Jr. Like, that's really what it was. That was a resounding argument. It wasn't until the NBA playoffs where we saw Giannis consistently without Middleton and said, wait, the reason Jokic won MVP, Giannis is proving he can do the exact same thing and some. Because Giannis is beating good teams without his second best player. Jokic was just beating whoever was on the 82-game schedule without his second best player. Giannis, on the other hand, had to go through the Bulls and is now having to go through the Celtics without his second best player. So it's not that the postseason should be some sort of referendum for the regular season, but at least it can illuminate us to be like, the biggest knock we had on Giannis as it pertains to not winning MVP this year is actually a greater strength than the MVP winner. Furthermore, same thing with Embiid. When Embiid was absent, we saw what the Sixers were in the playoffs and what the Sixers have been in the playoffs. Embiid chose back up. All of a sudden, they dismantled the Heat back-to-back games to tie the series up. So that's why I'm like, yes, like you're right. The regular season has to be the regular season, but at least we can learn something about the regular season from the postseason. Now I got to talk to Sal one more time and I'm done talking. One more time. Mm, Sal mm, always mm. tells me this, Slick, and he always tells me this, audience. Don't talk, no, always. Don't talk about how I came from Compton and went to Columbia, some ringing, glowing endorsement, because somebody else who went to Columbia, they did nice too, even if they didn't come out of Compton. Tell them I'm mistaken in that. You ain't mistaken in that. I ain't mistaken in that. Everybody got So something. we can't talk about the struggle that somebody had to go to to get to the top. That ain't Meaning it. more than somebody who didn't have to struggle to also get to the top. Because at the end of the day, both people got to the top. Mm. Giannis and Bede, they reached higher highs than Jokic. 
Jokic just went through more to get to where he got through. And as a result, we're applauding Jokic because of what he had to endure and what he had to go through instead of just looking at it like, wait, Giannis and Embiid reached mm. higher highs. And that, to me, is the biggest issue at hand with Jokic winning MVP. Mm, mm. Fair point. Fair point. However, this idea that we can take the postseason and we can learn from it <laughs> is that's a that's a false idea, yeah, Acho. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not the we're looking at the Bulls and then we're looking at the uh, at the next round and suggest that because Giannis has compensated for the absence of Chris Middleton, that that is an indicator of that he could do the same or better, actually better than Jokic has done without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., has all to do with matchups. If the Bulls' matchups, if they can't exploit Middleton being gone, if uh, in this round they can't exploit uh, Middleton being gone, then is that really a reflection of what Giannis is doing? Not necessarily. But here's my biggest issue, Wiley, with the points that you made and the numbers that you came back at us with, historic or otherwise. They were all offensive numbers. PER is only mm-hmm. based on offense. Yeah. When we look at the defensive end of the floor and the impact that Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid have, it, there is no comparison to what Nikola Jokic does. He has improved. He's better. But he's still exploited at that end. As opposed to Joel Embiid and Giannis being the backbones at the defensive end. And to me, that was the distinction. Now, I felt that Giannis came into the season coasting because he had a uh, an eye on the bigger prize, which was being ready at the end of the season. And so it was hard for me to put him second on my ballot when he came into the season coasting. But when it comes to overall impact, for me, there's no question. Those two, because of what they do at both ends of the floor supersedes what Jokic does. He is historically good as an offensive center, arguably as an offensive player. But there's the other end of the floor, and that has to count when we're talking about most valuable player, and most analytics don't even sniff the impact of a defensive player. No, they mostly don't. However, rebounds kind of suggest what you're doing on the defensive end because that's what, hey, that's the cherry on top when you're playing defense. Get that ball back, correct? Who is the leading rebounder of these three? Golly, is it Jokic? Yes, it is. Y'all got to stop playing with this man and give him his flowers. Slick, I know you didn't vote for him, but you should. Go get your ballot back. Postseason obviously has some kind of (laughs) indication on how these guys are thinking. Go get your ballot back because he played more, he won more, and every time we take a shot at him, he has an answer, including those rebounds, which answers what he does somewhat on the defensive end. Coming up, week four in the USFL is in the books. We're not ready to move on until we reveal our top plays from an exciting weekend. But first, is James Harden back? Back, 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 back. We'll tell you what his performance in last night's win tells us next on Speak for Yourself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Joel Embiid is back for the Sixers, but the bigger story last night was actually James Harden, who finished with 31 points, which is his playoff high this season. Now the Sixers tied up the series with the Heat. It's 2-2. And after the game, Harden said, quote, we're getting more confident as the series goes on. So, Sel, mm. James Harden revived himself, but what did his performance last night tell you? Tell me something I already knew, that money talks. And James Harden <laughs> started to read the headlines that shifted from, oh, you're not playing up to your potential. Oh, you look sorry. Oh, you're a shell of yourself. Oh, is those the ashes of James Harden on the court? To contract talks look different because of these postseason woes. And once James Harden read those headlines, and I read those headlines in The Athletic. Now, if The Athletic is writing it, that means the GM's reading it. If The Athletic is writing it, that means people with brains are actually reading it. And James Harden read this. He said, damn, they messing with my bread. Oh, it's not them. It's me on this court not playing up to my standard. And I respect James Harden for that. His love language is that dough. That's what he speaks. He speaks that money talk. And he started to respond. But on the court, a couple things happened as well. Obviously, getting Joel Embiid back the last two games has done wonders for James Harden because this is exactly what he signed up for. When you get traded and you're James Harden, you weren't traded and didn't sign up to be the leader of the Philadelphia 76ers. You signed up to be a part of Joel Embiid's team as his Robin. First two games of this series, He had to be Batman. And we saw him, 18 points a game, not looking like James Hart. Since the return to Embiid, 24 points a game, shooting 41% from three. That's James Harden. In this role, in this situation, because of circumstance, James Harden's going to thrive when Joel Embiid is out there eating up space and getting his buckets. The injury to Kyle Lowry certainly didn't help. The Miami Heat in terms of his hamstring. So you add all that up, James Harden. Certainly responded to the money talks, knowing that he got his guy back and the other team being compromised leads to James Harden, vintage performance. I love it. Uh, What I learned from James Harden, James Harden never lacked the skill to make the shot. He only lacked the will to take the shot. Okay. And that was what I was trying to figure out. James Harden, has he lost it? Nah, Mm. he ain't lost the skill to make the shot. He just lost the will to take the shot. Do y'all realize James Harden attempted nine field goals in the fourth quarter last night. Mm. James Harden hasn't attempted nine field goals in a half (laughs) in the playoffs. Mm. Nine field goals in one quarter. He hadn't attempted nine field goals in a half. James Harden attempted 18 field goals on the game last night. James Harden only attempted more than 18 field goals twice in his whole Sixers tenure. 30 games now. Mm. So you telling me that Less than one out of every 10 games in Philly is James Harden even attempting as many shots as he attempted last night. He don't lack the skill, y'all. He lacks the will. Look at the numbers. In Houston, he was shooting 20 shots a game. In Brooklyn, he was shooting 16 shots a game. But in Philly, only 14 shots a game if you were to round up. Harden never lacked the skill. He lacked the will. Mm. And last night, I was reminded it's not a skill issue. It's a will issue. I said it on the show on Thursday. It seems as though every single NBA analyst wants it more than James Harden. Mm -hmm. Until last night. Most telling moment. Nine minutes, Cell. 13 Mm. seconds left in the game. Talk to me. Between the legs, between the legs, step back three. Oh, yeah, James Harden. Bing, bing, step back, bucket. Forget the bucket. Look after the bucket. I've never seen James Harden show this level of emotion while being in Philly. Mm. I haven't seen it. Mm. 
I haven't seen it, y'all. I haven't seen it, and I've been watching all my James Harden Sixers games. What did that emotion tell you? A player will tell you more with his actions than he'll ever tell you with his words. I remember so getting ready for the combine uh, in college. Mm -hmm. My brother would tell me, because my brother went to the league right before I did, and he came back and he told me, he was like, hey, they hit hard. He said, show more excitement after you make a big play in college. I said, why? He said, because scouts are going to look and they're not going to know whether you love the game or not oh. if you don't show that much excitement. He's like, I'm starting to hear through the grapevine, people are questioning mm. whether you actually love the game because you make a tackle and get back up. As you know, yeah. oftentimes I played smarter, not harder. Did not always work to my advantage. <laughs> I make a big play at Texas, go back to the huddle because I'm all about conserving energy. Yeah. Then halfway through my senior year, I'm doing all the extras because oftentimes people are reading into that. For James Harden, I don't think his body language was that calculated. I think genuinely he just finally cared. I don't yeah. know what got into him. you telling me it's the money. I feel it. But all I know is this much. James Harden never lacked the skill. Yeah. He just lacked the will. And finally, last night, he got his will back. Oh, oh I know what got into him. Um, great story, too. That's real. Um, that's why I was wild style. My first nickname was wild style because I was like – Anything I do, y'all going to know I did it just because I know it adds up in your head, then it adds up on this check. Here's the thing. James Harden was relieved that Joel Embiid was playing again. And the first game, I don't know if it's shock or just disbelief or not a full trust that you're getting Joel Embiid back. James Harden goes out there and they score 20, they win the game, they blow him out. Second game, oh, he's back and he's Embiid? Okay, shoulders down. Let me tell you what happens to James Harden as he slides into the second role, as he slides up into the Robin second fiddle role. When you're relieved, then you know everything you do in success is a bonus. Like, they're looking at you like, all right, because this is Embiid's team. But when you mess up, all of a sudden, you feel a little different about it. You're like, dang, I'm messing up, but this is still not my team. This is how James Harden is thinking about it. It's his team. It's almost like you get a chance to hide because I've been a backup before. The closest thing you can say is being the Batman and Robin in football. And when you're the backup or the guy that they're not really double teaming, then every time you go out there and get something, y'all add that up too. But when I mess up, hey man, don't act like I was supposed to be the one out here dictating terms. That's supposed to be Joel Embiid. That guy, to me, James Harden, looks like a relieved player. Like, I could fit into the role that I mentally designed and that I was actually told that I was going to play in Philadelphia. James Harden still got the skills, as you say, still got the will. But now he's in a situation that he was told that he could help build with Joel Embiid being the hammer of this team. The only question now is, is it going to be too little too late? Mm. Because what this might be for James Harden, mm. we all all had this one teammate who, as you and I have discussed before, just be sandbagging. Mm-hmm. Just they're this saving lacks. all they or they're saving their energy until the very end when they can kick. Or yeah. in track and field, that individual who's just very calculated and is just drafting off of the leader in the race, and they're like, in the last hundred meters, I'm gonna go get him. Yeah. That could be James Harden. Like, you know what? I'm gonna wait until the very last moment these Sixers need me, and then I'm gonna kick it in gear. You said it on Thursday's show. You were talking about Harden. Harden was like, the series don't start till the road team win a game. Mm-hmm. Harden wasn't sweating at all when the Sixers were down 0-2. Because he was like, yo, series don't even start until the road team wins one. Right. Now Harden just has his best game in what is essentially a must-win game because you cannot afford to go down 3-1. Maybe Harden is very calculated. Now the question is just going to come down to. Is it too little, too late? But I'll say this here, Sel, is up? Harden better not be a prisoner of his own success. Because mm. now that we know that you're still capable of it, 
We're expecting it every game going forward. 31 points for James Harden is not at all impressive for James Harden. He used to do 31 points in Houston every night. I believe he had some of the most consecutive 30-point games yeah, in did. NBA history. So now, James Harden, and we know you're capable of it. Oh, you better give it to us every day going forward. Yeah, but it's not that. It's not about capability. It's not about skill. It's really not even about will. Let's say what it really is about. It's about reverence, deference. It's out of respect. It's, and it's not even like a healthy respect. It's a competitive respect. If James Harden goes out there and does what he wants to do, buckets, 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 it forgets this is Joel Embiid's team. It's the same dynamic that happened to the Miami Heat year one with Dwayne Wade in-house and then LeBron James joining. LeBron James knew he was better than Dwayne Wade, but LeBron James had to be careful how he demonstrated he was better than Dwayne Wade. And they lost their first final series. And I remember talking to one of the coaches on staff. I said, damn, dog, how y'all lose? He said, because LeBron wouldn't snatch the keys from Dwayne. Next year, I think Dwayne gave him the keys. And LeBron was like, look, I'm coming for the snatching of these keys. But the point is, when you got two guys who are highly qualified, neither one of them wants to be the guy that steps on the other one's toes. But at this point, it's Joel Embiid's team. And when James Harden was by himself, I don't think he could carry it to the fullest. But now he has his boy with him. He's just going to sit back, let him draft, and let us go get it. It almost sounds exactly like what Steph Curry did when Kevin Durant showed up. No. That's exactly what it sounds no, like. not like the Steph same. Steph Curry was just like, you know what? They Kevin won the Durant, first year. I don't want to step on your toes. No. I know I'm the best player, <laughs> but Kevin Durant, for the sake of the no. team, I knew we got to get here. That's exactly what no, it sounds like. Can we just go to break? Or you want to go to break because you feel like you got to. Uh, he was like, Steph, give me them keys a little. Let's switch things up and get to the USFL. You ain't right. An exciting week four wrapped up this weekend, and let's take a look back at all the action. Hell no, I wouldn't have seen <laughs> Week four of the USFL gets underway. We got him in the Drilled as he caught the ball. Touchdown, Panthers. Oh, my God. Corbin, 88 yards. Middle into the end zone. It's a touchdown. You broke, you broke, you broke. Are you kidding me? What a play by Shea. This is going to be a great look. A little trickery. They're chucking this ball deep down the field. Adams, the logo. Get my rock, man. Let me get my rock. Oh, man, where you going to drop one? Boy, you better than Cooper Cup. (laughs) Boy, you taking them to the hands, too. Now, look, this past weekend in the USFL, it definitely had football fans hype. Mm -hmm. But now we want to focus on our choices for the players of the week. And there were some great players, y'all. We're going to show y'all what y'all missed. Sell what you at? Oh, you know I'm going in them trenches. Got to get my man Dominique Davis some love. That dude's dude for this week. You can see Dominique Davis out there. Roll the tape, as they say in video. Right there in that, oh, that shade right there. And you can see him snatch, grab. Get off me, extinguish. Quarterback on the ground, land on him. Oh, that ain't going to work. And then hit some push-ups <laughs> on his head. <laughs> hit the push-ups on his head. Let's work. One more look at this. As you can see, get the inside hands. They always win. Then you disengage now. Look at that dead bug back there. <laughs> Who got the raid for him, baby? Got him right now in your sights. Davis, 315 pounds. Says, I don't want to land on you the first time. I'll wait to this moment. And then hit you with a little Two, thrust. Three. Three. Lockout. Three triceps for you, baby. Dominique Davis, that's my dude this you, week. You might need to hit a couple more triceps. Anyway, (laughs) let me talk about my player of the week, week four. One of the best names in football. How about Scooby Wright? 
That's a big time sack. Now, Scooby oh, Ray's the inside backer right here, and what you're going to see is the defense is in man free. What that means is everybody is in man, okay. and we got the safety that is free. He's just is. not in man. Scooby Wright, his opportunity now, he got the running back man to man. But if I blitz, the running back has to guard me, which means I'm going to blitz, so I don't have to cover. <laughs> you damn right. Quick slap, yeah, arm over move. Oh, you gotta hunt. Scooby. You gotta hunt. Jordan Tomu's the guy who gets hunted. Oh. Shout out to Scooby. Oh, he hit that. Right. Give me one anyway, more you'll time. see one more time, one more, one more angle. It's just me in the me back. If I blitz, he has to go on. He got to get on that swim. Arm over a little slap ah. swim. Yeah. It's easy money. It's yeah. easy money. Marcellus yeah. Wiley knows a thing or two oh. about it. Slap it out. You could have got that fumble, too. To the ground, I know. Next time, yeah. Scooby Wright, I'm going to need you go. to force it. I'm going to need to force that fumble. But don't forget, USFL action mm. continues all weekend on Fox. Saturday at 3 Eastern, New Orleans Breakers take on the New Jersey Generals. And Sunday at 4 Eastern, the Pittsburgh Marlers square off against the Houston Gamblers. Don't want to miss that. Coming up. <laughs> it sounds like the Grizzlies are blaming Jordan Poole for Morant's injury. Uh-oh, we'll tell you if we have an issue with how Jaws handling it. Next on Speak for Yourself. Scooby, that's a young mama name. Yeah, his mama young. John Morant will likely miss tonight's pivotal game four with knee soreness. And the Grizzlies are pointing at Jordan Poole as the reason why. Poole reached for Morant's knee while going for the ball in game three. After the game, Ja, he tweeted out this deleted video of the injury with the words, broke the code. Oh my. Which is a reference to Steve Kerr's comments when Gary Payton II was injured by Dylan Brooks. Slick Rick is back with Acho. You have an issue with how Ja Morant handled his injury? I do. I hate it for several reasons. Number one, y'all, some contact is just incidental. It is a contact sport. Basketball, football, you're going to have collisions. You're going to have bumps. You're going to have bruises. We cannot claim that every incidental piece and portion of contact is all of a sudden intentional because now we're going to have to overly scrutinize, overly scrutinize every single time somebody runs into somebody. Come on, y'all. We got to stop. Furthermore, the real reason I have issue with it is it's a sport where the objective is to win. Oftentimes, we would look at an injury report and we would see that a running back is nursing rib injury. So what would we do upon contact? Try to hit dude in his ribs within the confinements of the legal limits or without getting caught. So as long as something does not look too egregious or look too intentional within pro sports, what you expect if somebody's nursing an injury? You want the opposing team to just sit there and oppose, uh, avoid the injury? I'm sorry, Jai, I didn't mean to touch a knee. No, the real crux of the issue is don't get caught. And if you do get caught, don't make it look too egregious. Draymond Green, game one, flagrant two, before the, first, before the end of the first half. He just at least tried to make it look not so flagrant. Oh, my bad, I ripped the jersey mm. down, but I'm going to act as if I'm helping you up. Conversely, Dylan Brooks, game two, three-minute mark. He goes straight at GP2's head. And it looked blatantly obvious what he was doing. Jordan Poole, what it looked like was incidental. So how we got to treat it is incidental. Mm. Because within the confinements of sports, to some degree, we are actually trying to make sure we expose your injuries, trying to make expose where you are hurt. It's our job as an opponent. It's just a matter of not doing it in such an egregious fashion that causes the whole world to be up in arms. I don't like what John Morant did because you're playing a contact sport. Mm. There's going to be contact. Mm. Okay. okay. I have issue with it as well, Emmy. But then I have issue not just with Ja. I have issue with Steve Kerr. I have issue mm-hmm. with 
Clay Thompson. I have issue with Taylor Jenkins. I have issue with Adam Silver and the 800 lawyers in the NBA <laughs> front office because <laughs> that's where the code has gone. It's become like the tax code. There used to be, which no one understands and is countless pages long and doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. The code has disappeared. There is no code because there is no more physicality in the league. Everybody's complaining about the physicality. Everybody wants it to be perfect. To your point, Acho, this idea that nobody's ever supposed to get hurt, and if somebody does, well, then somebody did something wrong. No, that is part of sports. Whether it's Dylan Brooks saying, uh, I'm sorry, you're not going to dunk on us and clown us. I'm, I'm going to make sure that that does not happen. Gary Payton the second. Or it is in this case where yeah, he's, he's reaching for the ball. He gets a, gets a piece of it. He sees his buddy Wiggins on the other side. He says, well, maybe I can just hold him back and push on his hip and pull on his knee at the same time, and maybe Ja can't get, get, get to it. That's gamesmanship, as is with all of this. But the greatest issue I have is that the NBA has become nothing but actors. Not, and I'm not saying that Ja is legitimately hurt or that Gary Payton wasn't legitimately hurt. It's just hard to tell where the line is at this point. And so between all of the flopping and the acting and then the league jumping in every time there's some a, a collision and we either have to have a review or we have to have a suspension or we have to have a fine, now it's come all, it's all about how do I convince the front office that something egregious has been done physically as opposed to the code really being we'll take care of our own on the court. We'll adjudicate this. We don't need the front office doing it. But that's where the game is gone. And that's why we now have social media posts going back and forth or Steve Kerr talking about the code being broken. I think he's kind of said the same thing when Marcus Smart did it initially and then found out, oh, no, he was just making a, a great effort play. That's the problem I have. We've gone to this place now where it's all about uh, politicizing it and trying to win an argument after the fact to see how it can impact the next game. Man, didn't expect this, but uh, I have no issue with Ja Morant and how he handled his injury because Jordan Poole tried to injure him. With malintention, he tried to agitate and aggravate something on Ja Morant, in particular that knee, because Ja Morant has been known to have knee issues all ready let's talk about this let's be real about this one okay it was deliberate in the moment we got to understand that it didn't come with premeditated thought but in the moment it came with deliberate thought and action here's my first example i am a former athlete for those who don't see it in me right now because i'm 20 pounds over let's talk about how difficult it is to have a push-pull action in the moment okay Everybody at home has done this trick. I know if you got some kids around you, you certainly have. Okay, I want you to make both your hands go in the same direction. All right, all right, all right. Now I want you to make them go in the same direction at different times. Ooh, you start thinking, but I can do it. I can do it. Now I want you to go in opposite directions. Wait a Wait a minute. It ain't the suit. It ain't the suit. You know what happens? Your mind's like, what a minute. How do I get a push-pull action? Let me tell you why I know this. Because we were taught the dirty tricks. I was taught how to do that. I was taught how to, when I got in there and double-team, you got to turn your hips, you got to pull one, you got to push another. And that took thousands of reps to try and master. 
In this moment, let's watch the video once again. Because Jordan Poole, he didn't come in with premeditated thought. He came in to play some basketball. The first time, got the ball. Now, the second time, watch this. Y'all don't believe me yet. I know you don't. I don't hear somebody at home say Marcel should reach you. Watch I'm his hips. You. We need the other angle one more time. His hips, I need the full thing, and I'm going to end this like Johnny Cochran. Rest in peace. There you go. Okay. First time, his hips go in, and he gets the ball. Second time, hips go back, and he puts full. <laughs> if you try to get the ball, why in the hell are your hips going away? I'm just trying to help y'all out with this situation. I need one. You're going to get one, but one. you're going to get yours on your time. Let me tell you on this time. Jordan Poole, respect, big dog. I don't think less of you. I think 30 of you. And welcome to Pro Sports, because I, when I would get a sack, would step on the quarterback's finger. I, when I got a tackle, especially a tackle for loss, would grab the running back's stomach and twist it and turn it with my glove, hoping to strike blood. Welcome to Pro Sports, but don't you dare try to hide behind the fact that you're playing ball when you know you're playing the game within the game. Sal, we have to do a a couple Mm. things. The very first thing we got to do is look at somebody's character. When we look at Draymond Green, we knew Draymond Green's play was dirty. Why? Because Draymond Green has a history of dirty play. When we look at Dylan Brooks, we knew Dylan Brooks' hit on GP2 was dirty. Why? Because Dylan Brooks has a history of dirty play. When we look at Jordan Poole, we cannot look at Jordan Poole and assume instantaneously to the same degree that we assume with Draymond and to the same degree that we assume with uh, Dylan Brooks that uh, Jordan Poole's play was dirty. Because Jordan Poole does not yet have a history of dirty play. Slick, you're giving me that look. But yeah, because Slick, the Court and give Slick the is smarter look. than that. Come because on, Slick. The very first thing we do, Slick, and we talked about Come this on. last week, Come on, when Slick. we are dictating terms of an individual trying to set bail or when we are dictating terms of a punishment for governing bodies, as we say, huh, what is their record? So, Slick, when I look at Jordan Poole, I'm looking at Jordan Poole with an innocent eye as opposed to when I look at Draymond Green or look at uh, Dylan Brooks. Now, my innocent eye might still lead me to guilt, but I at least have to start with an innocent eye. Slick, what has Jordan Poole done for you to be like, you know what? This had to be. I got Slick on my side. What, Slick? Go ahead. (laughs) He tapped out. You need a timeout? I I, I really, I can't believe you just made this argument. You, you brought the you courts to. and legal argument to. into it when I just told you the ruin of the NBA is the 800 lawyers <laughs> in the front <laughs> office adjudicating Don't. how the game is played. How could you go I there? Too slick. slick. Here's why and here's how. No. Because somebody's track record <laughs> will fight. give you an inclination uh. of the intention of the action. Mm. Somebody's track record, Ooh. Slick, will give you at least a minor inclination of like, huh, mm. what are they more than likely Acho. to do what they more than likely not to do? <laughs> I love this. Y'all Acho. welcome. I got Acho y'all fighting. Sometimes, I ain't got a word. <laughs> sometimes you make an argument and you make it or you build it because you know what? This is a really good argument. Like I, I got, I got all this that I can, I can make this argument. It's going to be tough to beat, but it's winning the argument. This is where you are a lawyer because it's not a matter of whether it's guilt or innocence. It's a matter of whether I can convince you of something. Here's the problem. You know everything that Marcellus said was true. You know that as a professional athlete, even that casual offhand swing isn't a casual offhand (laughs) swing. I may not know where I'm going to hit the guy, but I know that I might hit the guy. And it might not be in a, oh, I might hit, oh, sorry, I hit you in the face. Was that accidental? No. 
So this idea that Jordan Poole, as a professional athlete mm. who understands the dynamics mm. of the game and understands everything he does with his body, did not do something intentionally because he's never done this particular thing before. Wait a second, Slick. How Wait could a second, we ever Slick. think Wait that he second, would? Wait a second, Slick. Wait one goddamn mm. second. Oh, you Slick. almost got there. Uh-uh. You almost. <laughs> you almost <laughs> cursed. I'm telling the whole Acho family. All yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait one mom second, and, Slick. Hey, mom and dad Acho are still watching, Emmy. <laughs> wow. Now, it's twofold. All I'm saying is this, Slick. I'm not assuming that Jordan Poole is innocent, no. But what I am doing is stepping into the conversation saying, we can't look at Jordan Poole the same way we look at Dylan Brooks. We can't look at Jordan Poole the same way we look at uh, Draymond Green. Stepping into contact. We can't do that. But what I am saying is this. To assume somebody broke the code is to clarify what is the code. Because Mm. when you step on the court, when you step on the field, when you step on the grass, Slick, the only true code is like, I'm not trying to maim you for life. I'm trying to knock you out the game. I'm just not trying to end your life. I'm trying to end just about everything else leading up to your life. Marcellus Wiley, am I tripping? Um, like, because you stepped yeah. in the game, it's like, yo, we need to knock this quarterback out. It's, it's something like, in there. It's but, something in there. Like, I don't want him uh, to never play football again, mm. but I definitely want him to not play yeah, again yeah. this game. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Slick, that is the code. The code has a whole lot of gray. Mm. The code has excessive areas of gray of like, yo, I really don't want to see you back here again. Now, yeah. I want to see you back. I just don't want to see you back mm. here. So that's what? why I'm like, you can't say that somebody broke the code. Yes, the reason did. to me Dylan Brooks may have broke the code is because <clears throat> the Gary Payton GP2 injury is going to last far beyond this series. Like, that wasn't right. just a, hey, he out for the game. That was like, yo, you might have change the trajectory of his basketball life. Where you at, Sam? Um, There's a difference between I'm going to hit you when you're running the ball in your knee, Barry Sanders, and when you are tackled or just trying to, trying to get some yards, I grab your knee and attempt to twist it. One is in within the code and one is not. Jordan Poole knew he was outside the code. You know why? Watching again, his body said, get out the way because his mind told him we about to do something. His body, who tries to steal a ball? The first time he breathing down his neck. Second time, he far as you can be away from him. That's all the guilt you need to see. Acho, you can't make the point that you made about his character and his history. How do you build bad character? How do you get a history of being a bad player, bad a dirty player? Bad action. Yes, sir. And this is the first one. Okay. This is how he builds that resume. You know how I know that true? To know that to be true? You ever watch the local news? And then it always starts off the same. Murder, murder, bank robbery. Murder, murder, fire. Murder, murder. Right? And they always interview someone's neighbor. And then the neighbor's like, oh, my God, he was such a nice guy. Every time I saw him, he was so cool and sweet. There's a first time for everything, and there's a surprising moment for everyone. And this is Jordan Poole's coming out party. Hey, I got a little more Draymond in me than y'all anticipated. I'm going to give you one more example because I hate talking bad about people without talking bad about myself. We used to do the rip move. Acho knows the rip move. Hey, when I go by you, I'm going to rip. Get that camera, Wally. Rip, rip, rip. Y'all know the rip cage move? Oh, y'all didn't know about this one. This is what Coach taught us. He said, when you rip, it's okay if your hands grab his face mask. 
and pull down. Watch what happened to my neck when I do that ripping. <laughs> All that stressed out. I don't know if that's C1, 4, 5, vertebrae 8, whatever it is, is jacked up. And I got a couple sacks doing rip cage moves. Point being, Jordan Poole just pulled a rib cage right in front of our eyes. Ain't no cold breaker. Oh, that's a cold breaker. Oh, that's a cold breaker. It's a cold breaker. We taught the wrong thing, and you're not supposed to do it, but it still is breaking the code. Got some slip? So uh, it sounds like we need to have a a committee get together. We need to have a meeting on deciding what the code is, even on this show right now. Because for me, it's a matter of are you trying? I'm going to do whatever is necessary to stop you. I'm not Mm. looking to injure you. I'm not looking, no more than Dylan Brooks was looking to injure Gary Payton, too. He wasn't trying to knock him out of the series. He was trying to say, you are not going to score on this layup. You are not going to dunk on us. Now, as a result, he got injured with uh, Jordan Poole. It doesn't come down to character. I'm not trying to tweak your knee. I'm not going to go so far, Marcellus, as that it was intentional in the moment. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stop you from getting to the ball. And I will do whatever is necessary to do it. And if it means grabbing a compromised knee, dude, we'll live with the results. Um, I think it was not premeditated, intentional and deliberate in the moment because he was taught how to do this. This is one of those moves that we are taught that maybe we shouldn't have been taught or now we shouldn't execute on the court, on the field. Let's be real. The NFL came and changed the target area about a decade decade ago, right? You can't hit guys here and there, right? And every guy cried about it, but every guy adjusted to it because that was one of the things we were taught to hit somebody in their head, knock it off their head, just to send a message. Maybe now we're just basically starting the conversation of what other things should we move in terms of the code? Because some things are still being protected by the code, even though when you see them on full display, everyone realizes that's breaking the code. Coming up, Giannis did not win MVP, but he played like one over the weekend. We'll tell you what we learned from the Bucks' win in game three. Next, oh, speak for yourself. He got the praying hands out. He got the empathetics. He got the empathetics. Well, the Bucs took care of business at home over the weekend to go up 2-1 against the Celtics. Giannis Antetokounmpo led the charge with a game high, 42 points, including the go-ahead basket late in the game. Woo! Game four is back in Milwaukee tonight, and boy, do we have ourselves a series. So, mm. what did you learn from game three? Uh, what I learned from game three, that Boston should win this series without Middleton. Boston, come on, stop playing with your food. Giannis is insane. Giannis is carrying the load. Ah... <laughs> uh, He's not the MVP this year. We already know Jokic won this. But, God, when you say best player on the planet, can't make the argument anymore. To the point where my mother's day was almost ruined at a bar because some fan walks up, even though he's a member of my country club, and he's like, let's have the argument right now. And I'm looking at him I'm like, all right, I got several in my mind that Acho and I always have. Where are we going with this? Are we still on this? And he brings up Giannis versus KD. And I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it was the woofer reserve that was just in my body, but I didn't have any ammo. I was just like, yeah, you know what? Giannis is amazing. He is next level. That energy, that athleticism, and his leadership, next level. But in all seriousness, Boston needs to win this series without Chris Middleton playing. Boston is putting themselves in position Bad shooting nights from Jason Tatum, not necessarily playing up to his standard, and still finding themselves a bad call away from winning a game. All I'm saying is when you see a team that's compromised, 
Smell the blood in the water. Take advantage of it because Middleton may not come back this series. But you still got to deal with Giannis. I hope they're hoping for some fatigue in game five, six, seven, whatever it may be. But right now, they're playing with their food. Boston's better than them as a team. Giannis is the best player on this planet. Yeah, what I learned is that Giannis is a brilliant basketball player. We already know he's a freakazoid athlete, but y'all have to understand Giannis is brilliant. In sports, they typically tell you, hey, work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. Some athletes work harder, not smarter. Giannis somehow miraculously does both. Hmm. He works incredibly smart and incredibly hard simultaneously. Sal, if you look at all of the top players remaining in the playoffs and look at the teams, look at how many minutes per game they are playing, whether it's Jason Tatum, James Harden, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid, uh, Drew Holiday, Jimmy Butler. They are all playing significantly more minutes than Giannis who go out of the Kumpo. However, <laughs> Giannis is making the minutes he plays go further than everybody else who is playing more. Not only is Giannis working harder, he's working smarter. Because when he's on the court, he's working harder than all those other players because he makes it add up to more. But then he's working smarter because he's not playing nearly as many minutes. Reminder. Giannis played less minutes in his five-game round one opening matchup than than Jason Tatum played in his four-game opening round sweep of the Mm. Brooklyn Nets. Giannis Mm. playing smart and playing hard. What I learned is Giannis is good enough single-handedly to win this series. But it shouldn't surprise you because that's what best players in the world do. Hmm. Remember LeBron James 2015. Jordan Love, shoulder injury, round one. So we don't get Jordan Love the rest of the playoffs. Kevin Love? uh, Kevin Love, thank you, sir. Kevin Love, good catch. Meanwhile, LeBron James leads the Cavs all the way to the playoffs and somehow goes up 2-1 versus the Warriors without Kyrie Irving for games two and three. Mm -hmm. They lose game Mm -hmm. one with Kyrie Irving and it ends up with Matthew Dellavedova. Best players in the world do best player in the world things. Mm -hmm. And now that we have all concluded that Giannis is the best player in the world, it is no surprise that he is doing best player in the world things. What is this best player in the world thing? Going up 2-1 in a series versus a two-seed, excuse me, versus uh, 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 versus the Celtics. Going up 2-1 in this series, that is what I've learned right now is Giannis is good enough. I love that point. Best player in the series, best player on the planet. This is what you do. Um, what you also do is take advantage of when their best player in the Jason Tatum is not playing up to his standards. Jason Tatum had a bad night of sleep. He did. And it all had Wes Matthews just written all over. Good Lord, was that some clamp down going down. And having that inconsistency, Tatum was great the first two games, 50 points, balling. Third game, you off your standard. And then Giannis goes out there and gives you 42. That's the problem. Because when you see no Middleton – Every Celtic is thinking, we got to go out there and do our thing. But Marky Smart has an injury and not playing up to his standard. Wes Matthews balling. Jason Tatum inconsistent in the total with these three games is letting the Bucks get by. And that's not supposed to happen right now. No matter how great Giannis is and then Drew Holiday out there balling, it's not supposed to go that way when you got – it turns to drafting. Let's just say let's get a starting five going right now. Your first pick is Giannis, but your next two picks got to go Boston. You might even go Boston for the third pick. You're just sitting there debating who's going to be after you come back for Drew Holiday. With that talent level, with that talent on the sidelines and Chris Middleton, you got to take advantage of it. I think Boston will, but right now it looks like Giannis is here to save the day. Here's the other truth, though, Sal. Um, truth be told – 
dictating who is the greatest athlete isn't actually about how high their high is. And I've said this before. Mm -hmm. Trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how great an athlete is is actually about how low is your low. Yeah, yeah. Usain Bolt, greatest sprinter that has ever lived, greatest male sprinter that has ever lived. What made him so great wasn't the fact that he has a 9.57 world record. What made him so great is the fact that he was rarely ever going to run slower than 10 seconds. <laughs> so even on a bad race, yeah, yeah, yeah. Usain was still <clears throat> going to beat you because his lows weren't that low. Yeah. So what makes a great athlete great isn't how high their highs are. What makes a great athlete great is, yo, how low are your lows? Mm. Think about Giannis in this playoffs. His worst statistical game in this playoffs, he had 18, 9, and 7. They beat the Bulls by 30, and he only played 29 minutes. Goodness. His second worst statistical game this playoffs was against these Celtics, where he only had 24 points. Giannis's lows, he's still getting double-doubles, 20-point double-doubles. Conversely, Jason Tatum. We know as a dude. Mm-hmm. We've seen Jason Tatum go off for 30, 40, go off for 50 points in a game. But now we know that Jason Tatum, you're capable of doing what Giannis ain't even capable of doing. That is having 10 or so points in a playoff game. The reason I'm so confident in these butts and what I really learned from Giannis is, hey, even his lows are good enough to sustain them through this series. Because now I know, ooh, Jason Tatum, your lows are low. Jalen Brown, we know that his lows are low. He ain't had them lately, but his lows are low. (laughs) But Giannis, even your lows, like Usain Bolt, are still going to be greater than other athletes' highs. I like that point. I mean, Jason Tatum, you can't play 41 minutes, tax your body like that, and only get 10 points out of it. That part. Right? I don't care how young you are. You're not supposed to do that. That's a bad equation to your point of working smarter, not harder. Who's winning this series? You, your faith is all the way to the point where... Because of Giannis. Because of Giannis. <sighs> There's, it's going to happen again. There's no way I can look at the more dynamic matchup of Tatum and Brown and the Celtics being the number one defensive team going out there without Middleton mm-hmm. losing that. That, to me, is an illogical equation. Mm-hmm. I can't follow that all the way through, especially when the games that they've lost... Been those nail-biters, controversial calls, should have won, should have, could have. But with Giannis in there, man, with that cape on his back, But real special. quick, Sal, don't you think that um, this is the moment that Giannis plants the flag on top of the hill of I am the best player in the world? Because yeah, I firmly yeah, believe yeah. best players in the world, they just got to do best player in the world things. You think about Michael Jordan, game 6, 98. I'm going to strip the ball from alone. I'm going to go down. I'm going to cross over Russell. I'm going to get me a bucket. Yeah. That's a best player in the world thing. I am going to single-handedly put this team on my bat. That's where I think that Giannis is at this point in his career. Even though he doesn't have Middleton, and even though them Celtics got dudes, Brown, Smart, he comes back healthy, uh, 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 Tatum, got dudes, I just think that if you are the best player in the world, it don't matter. Like, I'm the big joker and Mm. I'm the little joker. Mm. You might have the rest of the spades, Mm. but I'm still them trump cards. Don't you think this is where Giannis plants the flag and is like, yo, for the next two or three years, it's mine? Yeah, this is the opportunity. One, to be the best player on the planet, it certainly serves you well to be performing when the other person in the conversation is not even playing anymore and Kevin Durant, right? Two, not only are you advancing, but you're the leader. You're the reason. One of the reasons 
the Brooklyn Nets are not in the playoffs is because of Kevin Durant not playing up to his standard, right? So all of that is setting it up for success. If he finishes the deal, not just this series, but finishes the deal this postseason, there's no way you can even question yeah. it, right? Yeah. The only thing that will leave it in jeopardy is if he becomes the reason that they have an early exit. A lot of superstars are wearing new uniforms out there, but which team has improved the most in the NFL? We'll reveal our top five. That's next on Space for Your Sales. There are a lot of headline making changes in the NFL this offseason. Russell Wilson is in Denver. <laughs> Just like Compton. Devontae Adams is a Raider. And Tyreek Hill catching passes in Miami. Bleacher Report listed their most improved teams from this offseason. So we decided to give it a crack. And give our own top five. So, Acho, get us started. Who's in your top five for no, most improved teams? I can't get started until I get my rock. Oh, I got can't. you. Don't give me the rock. Oh, you almost dropped it. Boy, you got some good hands and good eyes. That's my dog. Uh, okay, oh, right, number five, how about the Las Vegas Raiders? Right, Raiders yeah, 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 made some right. big additions. Everybody's going to focus on Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. and they should. Yep. But remember, the Raiders added Chandler Jones, first ballot Hall of Famer, go. over 100 sacks of his own right. Plus, you add, add one of the best receivers in the game. Plus, you add a brilliant-minded new head mm. coach. I love what the Raiders have done. Mm. They are my five. At number four, and this team should be higher, but I had to hide my bias. Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, really? Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles. Why? Because the A.J. Brown edition is monstrous. Monster, monster. Not because of A.J. Brown, but I'm looking at the domino. Domino. When I look at A.J. Brown, he's going to make Devontae Smith better because Devontae Smith now gets to be the number two receiver. Devontae Smith Mm. won the Heisman in college last year. A.J. Brown will make Jalen Rager better. Jalen Rager, a former first-round pick. Now he gets to be the number three or number four receiver. Eagles fans, remember how Nelson Aguilar made a huge jump in 2017 when you went to the Super Bowl when they brought in Alshon Jeffrey. I see the same jump. And Jalen Hurts will become better as well. At Mm. number three. Okay. How about your Chargers? (laughs) How about Chargers made some huge additions. Here's what's interesting about the Chargers. Brandon Staley was the Rams' defensive coordinator when the Rams had the number one defense in football. Number one. But Brandon Staley, as a defensive coordinator, had a terrible defense last year. Heard about it. And Brandon Staley's mind, he's like, yo, it's not because of my mind. It's because of my assets. Mm. So what I need now is an elite pass rusher like I had when I was in uh, 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 the Rams. Rams. And what I also need is a shutdown cornerback like I had with the Rams. So now I have Khalil Mack. Plus, I got Bosa. Plus, I got J.C. Jackson, who's going to be my version of Jalen Ramsey. Oh, silly. I think the Chargers made the biggest additions yeah. because when you add Khalil Mack, when you add J.C. Jackson, mm-hmm. now Brandon Staley has the exact same chess pieces he had when he was with the Rams. Mm-hmm. My two spot, the Broncos. Okay. Yes, you, know you bring in Russell Wilson, it's self-explanatory. Come on. Come on. Broncos actually have maybe the greatest young receiving core in football. Sutton, Jerry Judy. K.J. Hamler. Haven't Ooh. seen much of Judy because he's been hurt. K.J. Mm. Hamler was a dude at Penn State. Been hurt. These are top draft picks, mm. y'all. We just haven't seen much of them due to injury and also due to liability at the quarterback position. But now you bring in one of the greatest leaders of the generation at quarterback, one of the greatest talents of the generation at quarterback in Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I see the Broncos making an elite leap this year. Oh, but at won? number one, the Cleveland Browns. Really? Cleveland Browns are the most improved team this offseason uh, for no other well, reason clean right than there. this man, Deshaun Watson. If we assume that Deshaun Watson will be on the field this year, I'm not talking about the allegations and the lawsuits <clears> that are still unsettled. But if we assume that Deshaun Watson will be on the field this year, 
Mm. The difference between Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield is a bigger difference That's than any it. other quarterback upgrade we have seen this offseason. Mm. Deshaun Watson with the rest of that amazing Cleveland Browns roster, yeah. I think the Cleveland Browns are now Super Bowl contenders. So this is my list, but this is a great conversation. Where you at, sir? Where am I at? Let's start at number five. I'm going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars. A lot of people are not going to think like I think, but this is how I go. First of all, I understand you got Chris Kirk, may have overpaid for him, whatever. Got Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, who we love. But you got Doug Peterson in there, a professional football coach who is a Super Bowl winning head coach. And more importantly, you add all those new pieces with a head coach that knows how to get to the mountaintop. And you don't have a rookie quarterback anymore. Trevor Lawrence in his second year took his lumps now. Time to see them take the next step. That was a good selection, Wiley. Thank you very much. All right, number four. Let's go with the Denver Broncos. Not to state like the it. obvious, but not only do you get Russell Wilson in the building, champion leader, but you also get a head coach, offensive minded, who worked with Aaron Rodgers, who can help all those young receivers and Russell Wilson hit the ground running in a very tough division. I like it. Let's go with number three. The Raiders. We got to go to a game. And we may not even watch the game. We're just going to be in <laughs> Vegas. The Raiders. I love the Raiders for a lot of the reasons you get. Obviously, when you get a Devontae Adams in the building, you got some 107 and a half sacks. Let me just stand next to him. Now, half of me, I have 40-some sacks, so I'm not even a half of him like a third. So we got him in the building now with Devontae Adams. Oh, it's going to be crazy out there. Head coach who's offensive minded work with Tom Brady. They got something special brewing in Vegas. Number two. The Miami Dolphins. Hmm, I like that pick. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm looking over there. I told you, you forgot. Tua got his man. He did. Close your eyes and throw it. He'll be somewhere down the field, 50 yards, ready to catch it in Tyreek Hill. Also, Teron Armstead now protecting at the offensive tackle position. You got a lot more weapons in Miami and protection for a quarterback that's still on the fence in terms of the conversation, how good he is. But number one, Come on, man. I don't hide my bias. You try to hide yours at four. Put him up there, number one. Go Chargers. Oh, my God. We got defense now to go with Justin Herbie. We got Herbert with a defense with Brandon Staley, defensive-minded coach who's already had a number one defense before. All the additions. We draft offensive guard. Not sexy. Who cares? We're protecting our most valuable asset. We have Justin Herbert at the quarterback position. You look at that team, fully loaded on both sides of the ball. I would say the most talented team in the NFL. Okay, I like your list. I like your list. I was thinking about the Dolphins. I was thinking about the Jags. But who almost made the cut of your top five? Your number your one. Out? Your number one. I wrote it down. Cleveland Browns. Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, whatever you think of him, is not close to what a Deshaun Watson is on the field and certainly in that locker room in terms of getting other guys inspired to play the game of football. So Cleveland almost made the list, but Jacksonville, you get Peterson, you get Trevor Lawrence taking the next step, you get all these assets around. Jacksonville, one to three wins. We'll see if they can take the next step, the next leap. My first out was actually the New York Jets. Because New York Jets, remember mm. what they did in the draft. draft. You get Sauce Gardner. You get Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. You get Jermaine Johnson, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, 11 sacks. But then in the second round, you get Brees Hall at the mm. running back position. Zach Wilson at this point, Sal, has absolutely no excuses whatsoever. So they were my first out. I really loved your Dolphins pick. There you go. But I was only thinking about Tyreek Hill. I wasn't thinking about Armstead. There if you I would have been reminded of Armstead, they would have cracked my top five as well. Jags. 
I just don't know that you're going to see a huge improvement from the Jags. I don't know if they win seven, eight games. I don't even know if they get back to winning six or seven games. Remember, Doug Peterson's first year in Philly yeah. only won six. Now, yeah. we had a rookie, Carson Wentz, yeah. but it takes Doug Peterson a little bit to instill his culture yeah. into an organization. But Houston, they don't scare me. True. Indianapolis, they should. Uh, they should. Maybe Tennessee without A.J. Brown and then Tannehill don't want to help the backup. <laughs> We're going to figure out how that all goes out in a division that is ripe for you to do something. Coming up, we'll talk about the story of Chris Paul's family being harassed in Dallas yesterday <laughs> by a Mavericks fan. You see the Gators still got it going. Oh, y'all took it off. That's next on Speak for Yourself. Dog, I kicked it. It kept spinning. They spinning. They spinning. The Mavericks, my Mavericks, had to remove a fan from the stadium yesterday after reports say Chris Paul's mother had hands put on her. And his wife was pushed while fans, excuse me, while his kids witnessed it. It all happened. Now, the video shows Paul shouting in the direction of the alleged fan saying, quote, I'll see you after all of this on Mother's Day. Mm. Slick Rick the Buker is back yeah, with yeah. us. But Marcellus, what's your reaction to the Chris Paul family incident? Yeah, right. That's not the gift you want to give them on Mother's Day. Come on, fans. All right, here we go. My reaction is two things. One, I'm not going to blow this out of proportion, and then I'm going to counter that by blowing it out of proportion. Let me start off by saying this. In life <laughs> and in sports, obsession leads to aggression. It Ooh. rhymes and it's real. Once you get obsessed, and this is something crazy I always tell fans, the most respect I have for fans is when I see an adult wearing another person's jersey and walking up to that same person and just losing their mind. And the times this happened to me where people are just like, oh, my God, I am such an admiration of that fan because it takes a different ego. Someone who can swallow their pride at that moment to just show that much love. But it comes at a cost. That obsession leads to an aggression when things don't work out exactly how they want it as a fan, how they draw it up in their head. Now, let's talk about what needs to occur. And this may be hyperbolic, but I really agree with what I'm about to say in terms of making this a reality. You got to ban every fan that does something of this nature. Now, we don't have actual video of what was actually occurring in the moment. But if we find out that this fan put hands on another fan, more importantly, the family of someone who's participating, who all they're there to do is celebrate and watch Chris Paul, not watch you touch them, they got to be gone for life. Let me tell you, y'all saying, oh, man, that's too much. If everyone walked into an arena knowing that one incident like this could keep you at home in your living room forever, I think you would think twice about acting like this. And let me tell you how it plays all the way out. Because I am a former player who is now a season ticket holder who sits in his seats. I don't like sweets. I think it's just a high, highly costing, paying living room that I sat at someone else's house. I don't like sweets. I like to be in the elements. I want to be around people. I want a little beer spilled on me. I want to hear the loudness of it. I want to feel that passion and that energy. However... They are now trying to sell me sweets. You know why? Because of security. Oh, Marcellus, out there in the regular seats, you know, it's a lot of things that can occur. You bring your little kid, six-year-old and three-year-old and two-year-old. Oh, do you want those elements? 
I don't want those elements, but I also don't want those elements sold as some incentive package to pay for more. What needs to happen is a deterring package, which is if you walk in the stadium and act a fool and forget that you are not the performer, then you're going to have to perform at home for the rest of your life in your living room watching these performers. Simple as that. Make sure these guys know there is a zero tolerance policy and these things will stop to happen. I love the thought process sell. I just don't think it's practical. Um, Slick, my, my retort and my thought is this. You do got to put the families in the suites. And I think it's the responsibility of the home team mm. to, re- to supply two or three boxes for the families of the opposing teams. Simple as that. Mm. So I would rather protect 50 than legislate 50,000. Oh, I, I just think that. it's more practical to protect 50. And... For those that want to say, well, the family should get the experience that they want, it's just not realistic. There's some things you have to sacrifice once you are of notoriety. Chris Paul can't just walk into a restaurant without security in certain cities, I would assume. It's a sacrifice of being Chris Paul. In the same regard, family might not necessarily get to sit right behind the bench. It's a sacrifice of being related to Chris Paul and going to a game. I just think we would be hard-pressed trying to ask 20, 30, 40,000 fans, particularly when you bring alcohol into the mix, to regulate their behavior as opposed to just protecting the 50, 60, 70 family members of the 12, 13 active players at that game. So for me, I think the more practical solution is just saying, hey, family, y'all going to be in a box. The opposing team Mm. is going to have to provide three, four boxes for our team and our team's families. We get four family members each that get to go into these boxes and keep everybody safe. Because what doesn't look good is Chris Paul yelling at some 14, 15-year-old kid talking Mm. about, hey, I'm going to see you after. See him after and do what, Mm. Christopher? What you finna, what you gonna see him after and do? You about to put hands on him, Chris? No, you're not. And let me also tell you, as someone who lived in Dallas and went to several Mavs games going growing up, based upon where that kid was sitting, his family probably got more money than the Paul family. So what you about to do, Chris Paul? You gonna put hands on this kid after? Okay, good luck playing again next season. Cause based upon where those tickets were, right behind the bench, that family is probably a very well-to-do family in a city that's a very well-to-do city. So it's just a bad look for everybody mm. involved. I would rather stay out of trouble than have to get out of trouble. Let's keep these families, let's keep these athletes, let's keep everybody out of trouble. Well said, gentlemen. Uh, Marcellus, to your point, I agree with, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but I agree with Acho in terms, I don't know that there's a practicality behind it because if I hear you correctly, you're saying we shouldn't allow hands being put on anyone anywhere in, in an arena or a stadium. That means up in the 300 section, we've got to have security that's not going to allow that to happen. We've got to play by the same rules there as we would yes. behind the bench. And it shouldn't matter what your last name is. It shouldn't happen to you. I just don't know if that's realistic that we're able to, to apply that across the board and i will say so my reaction to the video or this incident is i need to see a whole lot more and learn a whole lot more before i can determine exactly who's at fault here or what happened because to acho's point it looks like a 14 year old scared kid like that's the dude who's putting hands on people i I mean okay maybe but like i i need to see exactly what happened before i can determine exactly what happened 
My thing is, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. And Chris Paul's reaction is part of what, for me, is how we got here. Because we have now star players in the league who, once upon a time, you pretended like you didn't hear the fan. You ignored the fan. You didn't invite them or exchange with them. Now, in this day and age, we have players pointing fans out and saying, hey, I want them kicked out. Or we've got them exchanging uh, curses at each other. Like, it's engaging. Players have reached a point now, whether it's financial independence or it's entitlement or whatever you may point to, star players now have decided, I don't have to put up with it. I'm going to fight fire with fire. And so now we have an engagement. So if there's a fan out there who's able to go back and forth with a Chris Paul verbally, how far away is, well, then I can go back and forth with his family because they're just a little bit closer. That's where I think we've gotten to. And I find it interesting that it's only star players that we see this happening to. Because you can't tell me that fans aren't saying some pretty horrific things to Pat Beverly or to Grayson Allen. But we don't see those exchanges. We don't hear those exchanges. I believe that's where the switch has come. We've got star players now who don't have the same relationship with, with the fans that they once did. They don't feel a need to, uh, I don't know, accommodate those fans the way they once did. And so now it's become engagement. It's become a conflict that's happening in real time. And it's very easy for that to bleed over into family members becoming part of it. And this is why I'm being excessive on purpose. Um, The NBA has to step in. All sports leagues have to step in. They have to remind themselves that fans pay the bills. But these individual fans that you're seeing, a fan or two does not pay the bills. Let's stop that. Fans as a large, at large, aggregate, yes, 20,000. Two fighting, 10 fighting? No, they got to go. And that's going to set a deterrent for those who come in and start to respect that you are not a performer. You are just watching as a witness. Let's talk about this. Mm. This is a culture that's happened and is bleeding into sports. People, when they see something going down in the streets, they rather instigate it and film it than interject. And I get why. Like, you're like, yo, the consequences. In the streets, you get in the middle of something, something can happen to you. But in the arena, if you get in the middle of something, you know what you need to do? Make sure that that's the end of that person coming back. So now everyone knows we are abiding by a different culture, a different spirit. It's just as simple as that. And this kid, he ain't a kid no more if he put hands on someone. He's not a kid anymore. That's why you could try him as an adult, because the consequences can be major. You're coming at someone's family who just simply just wants to watch some basketball. Maybe they were doing something instigated as well. All I know is the greatest deterrent will keep these people at home and make sure those who go to the stadium, to the arena, can actually watch the sport that they're paying for. Coming up, it's just a couple of goats hanging out in Miami. What else? We'll tell you if we'd rather have Michael Jordan or Tom Brady's career. Damn. That's next on Speak for Yourself. A new NFL season is on its way, and every game will be revealed at the 2022 NFL schedule release live this Thursday at 8 Eastern on FS1 and NFL Network. Pump for that. Michael Jordan and Tom Brady are widely considered to be the GOATs of their sports. 
MJ has six NBA titles, and Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl rings. The two megastars were hanging out in Miami before the Formula One Grand Prix race, along with soccer legend David Beckham and Formula One racing star Lewis Hamilton. Hacho, whose career would you rather have, Jordan or Brady? Uh, for me, it's easy, man, Jordan, because while Brady may have more titles to his name, Jordan's legacy is just so much more potent. Jordan's legacy will never be dilute. Jordan's legacy, it lives on in lore, I think, even more than Jordan's legacy actually impacted on the court. Jordan gets the benefit of not having social media, and Jordan gets the benefit of not having mass exposure. I think mm. there's a benefit to that. Benefit, See, okay. now with social media, we know everything that Brady's doing. We know everywhere Brady's at. You can see Brady. You can see Brady's family, wife, kids, all that. We know all the details, all the minutia. Mm. With Jordan... He was just Jordan. Yeah, where do I need that? Oh, <laughs> like, you saw Jordan on game day. Every now and then, you hear the legends of if you saw Jordan in the hotel lobby and the whole crowd was uh, rushing after him. Yeah, yeah. Jordan will live on in narrative and legacy form mm. if current athletes can't because current athletes have way too much exposure. It's not that big a deal to see LeBron James driving down the highway. It's going to end up on Twitter. Mm. Meanwhile, if you were to see Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson uh, back in there, it's like, lose your mind, you pass out. You pass out. So for that reason, I would rather have Jordan's career because it's a more potent career than that of Brady. I'm with you with Michael Jordan as well. You would see him on Saturdays too with a Bob shot on that little basketball show. (laughs) That was it. Um, Look, it, it, it's not only how you got there, but where has that gotten you? I keep telling everyone, in the sports pyramid, basketball sits at the top by itself. Not a single soul is sitting there unconditionally loving the game of football. But the f- game of football will love you. Now, let's talk about that. Would you rather play basketball or football in terms of just your little son growing up and becoming a star? Yeah, we know that answer. Anyway, football is the best sport, but boy... It's taxing on the body. Let's just say that. Michael Jordan versus Tom Brady. The answer tells us itself. Who would you rather be? Would you rather? And this is insane. Tom Brady is amazing. He's the GOAT. Who would you rather walk around and be in? Michael Jordan or Tom Brady? I don't think a single soul would say Tom Brady. Let me tell you why. You walk around and you're Tom Brady. Guess how much money you got in your bank account? 250 million. You're richer than you are. I know that. But are you richer than Michael Jordan who got one point? <laughs> he got 1.7 billion. Oh, Tom Brady, you like to wear Uggs and take your little check, huh? I write checks and I got Jordans. They a whole different animal, dog. And I'm a former football player, duh. But we suffer from helmet head, they call it. Helmet head. That means we always trying to seek a little more attention. The same attention that is just easily given to basketball players. Eighth grade, ninth grade, you walking around. Yeah, you early in school, first of all, because football started before. You there in August. Yeah, I play football. It's 50 of us. Then the basketball dudes just show up. It's only seven of them, 11 of them, empty backpacks, flip-flops on, socks too wide. And they just getting all the love. It don't stop when they go pro, and it doesn't stop when you reach the top. The top of basketball and the top of football, they just don't equate. It's that simple. And, Sal, let's be real. On a global scale, Michael Jordan's just way bigger. Way bigger. Because basketball, it transcends continents. It transcends countries. Right now, football is still primarily an American sport. Now, yeah. shout out to the NFL. This year, I believe they're playing a game in Germany, yeah, yeah, playing yeah. several games in London. So the NFL is trying to catch up, but football is just a harder game. 
Harder. And to play basketball, Tax. you needed one ball and you need two goals. To play football, one, you need several more individuals. You need padding. You need a helmet. You need all of the things. So mm-hmm. the sport in which Michael Jordan plays, it just transcends yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, our country, which is why Michael Jordan will forever be that much more bigger. But there's the narrative and the legacy of it all. Jordan didn't have to deal with the mass saturation that Tom Brady has to deal with. Jordan played an era without TikTok, without Instagram, without Snapchat, without YouTube stars, without every network having a plus. It was just Jordan Hoop. Yeah, lifestyles that are rich and famous. Jordan's richer and he's more famous. So I guess he wins this conversation, right? Because in life, no matter how you flip it, it's like a sandwich. The bread comes first. Damn it, Jordan. They got tank tops on. You can see their faces. We got helmets on. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. It's just too much, man. And you don't get sacked. Coming up, it sounds like the Grizzlies are blaming Jordan Poole, speaking of Jordan, for Morant's injury. We'll tell you if we have an issue with how Josh's handling it. Next. Oh, speak for yourself. Are you talking to me, Brady Kobe? Brady Giselle, though. Oh. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you were like... John Morant will likely miss tonight's pivotal game four with knee soreness, and the Grizzlies are pointing at Jordan Poole as the reason why. Poole reached for Morant's knee while going for the ball in game three after the game. Ja tweeted then, deleted video of the injury with the words, broke the code, which is a reference to Steve Kerr's comments when Gary Payton, the second, was injured by Dylan Brooks. So I chose, was the play dirty? Hmm. No, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was dirty, nor do I think that uh, Jordan Poole broke the code. Reason being is in pro sports, you know how it goes. You want to win by any means necessary. Now, there is a small Mm -hmm. asterisk at the bottom of any means necessary, which is I'm not trying to take another player's life. Mm -hmm. But you've been on the field. I've been on the field. We've been on courts where it's like, no, I'm trying to go out there and injure this dude. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to injure him between the whistles, but I'm going to try to go out there and injure him and not get caught. Mm -hmm. If I know a running back has a rib injury, when I tackle him, I might tackle him, and when he's on the ground, throw a quick bow in there. I might push up off Mm. his ribs to get up from off the ground. As long as I do not get caught, then no code was broken. Mm. So as we're looking at it, is this this Jordan Poole-John Morant situation? John Morant was on the injury report. I believe he missed nine games during the course of the regular season with knee soreness. So if Jordan Poole does know that, he is going to try to tactfully attack and knee injury that has previously had ailments and whatnot. It's not a code, y'all. The code of professional sports is I am going to try to win by any means necessary. Small asterisk being, I am not going to try to take this person's life while I am playing. (laughs) I'm not going to kill him. But outside of that, I have seen a whole bunch of things happen over the course of sports, legal Mm. and illegal. Ain't no code being broken. Uh, It was dirty. Um, and let me just start off by saying I know it was dirty because was it clean? No, it wasn't clean. You take a shower every day at least one. Right? Most people do. I don't. But my, my, I'm trying to make my son do it. He's like, Daddy, you don't. And I was like, all right. But you don't take a shower just because you're dirty. It's because you're not clean. And this is a play that was just not clean. So now I got to go all the way with it because I play sports. I know why it looks dirty because it was. Oh, my man. Jordan Poole, you know what you did? You did something that coach taught you. And you probably learned it in the lower ranks. And you're still bringing that to the professional ranks. And we just don't do it up here like that. Not anymore. Ah, The first time he swipes for the ball, he's all over. All over John Morant. I mean, body, head, the toe on John Morant. You can see it, right? Watch the second time, though. He backs up. Because you know what? His mind told his body, clear the way. We about to do something here. And what he did was a push-pull effect that I've been taught to play football when I handle double teams. Or when I was taught to pass rush, sometimes push-pull. 
It's impossible to push pull without deliberate, intentional effort. You are highly trained to do that. And we did this example before. It's easy to make everything go in the same direction. It takes a lot of training and thought to make things go in the opposite direction. I'm still not doing it right. That's my point. It's okay. The rules have changed. The target area used to be in football anywhere on them. (laughs) Tear him up. And then they started to limit it because they said, oh, the consequences can be great and grave if we don't limit the area. What Jordan Poole, Poole did was grab his hip and push it forward and grab his knee and pull it back. What part of basketball? Is that a rebound, assist, or is that a three-pointer? It's not basketball. But you know what they say. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Right? In football, I'm going to try to lean, as get as far over the ball as I can without the ref throwing a flag. I'm going to try to jump the count. I'm going to try to hurt this uh, receiver if he's coming across the middle and he ain't looking. I'm going to try to crack back on this defensive back. I am going to do all of these things Mm -hmm. within the confinements of the game. You can't can't hurt the ball. So leaning over it, who cares? Um, Penalty. Um, You can't crack back anymore. You can't hit receivers defenseless anymore. All that has changed. So trying so to hurt somebody is now a problem. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, it's the code. Sports? The code. Yeah, there's a code. There's they want clean plays. They want you to play the next play. They want the stars in the building and on the court. John Morant is now gonna miss a game potentially because of what Jordan Poole did. Now, the competitor in him is saying, hey, I did what I'm supposed to do by any means necessary. But that's not the business. And the business is going to win this conversation like it did in football. Look out, basketball. Y'all going to start playing a lot cleaner. Ain't no more Jordan rules. Duh. <laughs> Coming up. Pete Carroll has a lot of faith in his new quarterback, Drew Locke. Tell you if he's keeping it 100 or just 99. Next on Speak for Yourself. Get your son getting his leg. On this show, we only know how to keep it 100. But others... They keep it 99. So each day, we're going to get to the bottom of who's really telling the truth. Case in point, Drew Locke, Drew Down, is a Seahawk after the big Russell Wilson trade. And his new head coach, Pete Carroll, already singing his praises. Take a listen. I think he'd been the first guy picked. Uh, of the quarterbacks, anyway. He, he, he'd been the first guy in this draft. I don't have any hesitation saying that. I chose Pete Carroll keeping the hand or just 99? It depends. Uh, Drew Locke coming out of college would have been the first guy picked in this year's draft. Drew Locke when he was coming out of Missouri and he was balling with the Drew Locke celebrations. Mm. Yeah, back then he would have been the first yeah. guy picked. But this version of Drew Locke? Mm. Uh, nah, this version of Drew Locke wouldn't have been the first guy picked. I do respect what Pete Carroll is trying to say. He's literally just trying to say, look, Drew Locke is just as good as any of these unproven young gunners, which might not at all be incorrect. But you keep it in 99 to say that this version of Drew Locke would have been the first dude pick. Yeah, he keeping it in 99. Come on, dog. Like, you comparing him to the worst quarterback draft in 50 years, saying, yeah, he would have been the first pick. Is that a compliment? Yeah, backhanded. And on top of that, you talk about Drew Locke in the respect that, oh, he would come out here and he would ball for us. He would be the first pick. What else are you supposed to say? It felt like yesterday with Mother's Day. Everybody had to post a good Happy Mother's Day post. No, Even though some of, us, some of us got some bad baby mamas. And some of us got some bad mamas. That's it for us, Fox Man Live next.